quick. Um, but we want to have um, we, we want to gain some wisdom. So be praying for each other. Pray for our Bible study and what we do this year. Um, but I wanted to give you an overview, a, a simple overview of um, some of the thoughts I've already got. And we'll we'll kind of pray through this through the whole year of how we how we live it out. We'll also pray it for for some more direction and structure in this month of January. But simply where I'm kind of settled in, in that I would like us to pursue, I'll, I'll give it to you in, in three parts. Is um, As a theme part, um, I want us to focus on, evang- um, let me see, focus this year on the challenges we face with evangelism and discipleship. So just two simple things, um, bringing people into the kingdom and then helping to thrive in the kingdom um, and, you know, primarily in this life, conforming into the image of Christ and understanding, um, you know, what his commands are for him and how they're to live. Um, and so I want to focus on that. Um, and the structure I want us to do. So, so if you're just saying, how, how do I equip myself in, in, um, in, in Sunday morning zoom Bible study, um, I would just ask you to, to, to dive in the book of Romans and John. Um, over 12 months, I, um, I don't think we're going to do Romans and John so much um, just from front to back like we did Hebrews or, or some of the other books we've done. Um, a matter of fact, one of the first things I want to do is start off in Romans 5. And the, and the reason being is because it's what talks about Adam and the federal headship and and really what we would kind of call the total depravity of, you know, nature for the fallen nature. And so that's one of the first topics I want to touch in. And so we'll jump into Romans five to kind of do that um, five and, and six and seven, just kind of really look at the struggle of sin and, and, and how sin brings death. Um, and, and the reason being for that is to look at the reality of the condition we're trying to, the people we're trying to evangelize the conversions we're going after where it, what is their mindset? Um, we, we think about like over the last two years with COVID, we've thought about, um, man, people have lost their common senses. And where's the leadership today? Well, what I want us to see is that the fundamental problem of sin and, and the way um, sin affects a human being, um, it really isn't as complicated. Um, we're not sharing the gospel like we should. We're not bringing converts like we should. And we're not creating the, the, the church hospital um, which does the function of discipleship to help people be rooted and grounded and growing in Christ. We're not doing those things like we should. So there's really nothing surprising about what's going on in our society um, if you look at it um, at those things. And so, like I said, that's what I want us to look at, the real challenges we face. What do we get wrong about evangelism? What, 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 what little things can we do to, um, to be more effective in our evangelism and our discipleship? And really, um, I was studying a while back the cut to the heart in Acts 2.37 and Acts um, 7.54. The, not, bo- not most Bibles, but the King James, uh, the New King James and the King James Bible uses a phrase called cut to the heart. Now, the word cut in Acts is different than the word cut in, in Acts 7 with Stephen is different than the word, the Greek word um, cut um, in, in Acts 2. Well, that's significant, and that's why most of the other translations outside the King James don't, don't, don't translate that way. But I want you to think about that phrase, cut to the heart. It's a helpful um, phrase because 
the way most um, Hebrew definitions um, define the um, heart, and I look at a definition that gives a variety of heart and variations of heart, but all of them have one thing in common, no matter how much you veer to the left or the right or up or down, is it, it, it says that the heart is often in Hebrew language or, or in the Bible language, ancient language, is thought of as the core of a person's being. And so when we evangelize and, in we, and when we disciple, we're dealing with um, the, the core beliefs of someone. Um, we have core beliefs, and then we have core beliefs that we say, these are my most important core beliefs. And so when we're talking about faith, and we're trying to evangelize, or we're trying to disciple, we're trying to make do surgery and alter a core belief. Now, the difference between that phrase cut to the heart is that cut in Acts 2 is more of the idea of a surgeon where it's trying to do heart surgery and actually save a life, where the idea of cut in um, Acts 7 is like trying to destroy a life. It is trying to um, 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 carelessly just rip apart. And so it's the difference between a sharp blade and a saw blade, sawing a person apart versus doing um, um, a small minor procedure that can make a big change. And so I want you to think of that, that thought um, because that's, that's one of the challenges of both evangelism and discipleship is like when we talk in discipleship and we talk about divisions in church, the reason we divide in church is because we we have a tendency one of we have a tendency to do the wrong type of cutting we saw instead of do surgical cutting Mm -hmm. and as i was looking and i I hadn't seen this for a long time but if you read the act seven text the the what the what the parallel of sameness is is in p in in acts two peter kind of gives a message and 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 he preaches and then he comes to a conclusion an altar call type thing same way with um with um stephen but i want you to notice the way they do the altar call is a bit different um they all the preaching of the book of acts and there's about 12 messages in there and you can go back and, and get some some framework of what preaching looked like in the in the first century and with the apostles but all of them use um like a a a a form that went back to like moses and and you know and king david and they used certain forms in the exodus and so they all kind of reminded them they kind of like said like when you hear preaching a day from someone that's out of town he'll he'll say how about that gumbo or how about that crawfish or something so there's always something to try to say man i love me some louisiana and I, them tigers how about them tigers you know so there's always something like that where they always had that format where they would say like i remember the exodus i mean i know the law you know um, I was raised as a, you know, as a Pharisee of the strictest sect, you know, there always was something where they're framing up, but what the old Testament was about was a promise that would be fulfilled in the Messiah in Christ. And these people were waiting for the Messiah to come. So there was a challenge for the first, you know, for the apostles and, um, and, 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 and the teachers of the gospel um, in, in the first century, there was a challenge for them to kind of say, hey, guys, it's here. The Messiah that we've been waiting for is here, and it has come to pass, and God has fulfilled what he said he was going to do. And so when you look at, like, I'll give you one quick example. Is Jesus 
when you ask yourself the question, what, why did they kill Jesus? What did Jesus do that was worthy of death? And it was nothing. He didn't do anything that was against the law that was worthy of death. But what he did, it, it was about what he said. Um, two, two specific things. He said he was God, and to them, that was worth him dying. And he really said it very vaguely. Um, but they insinuated, if you're saying this, then what you mean is you're God. That was worthy of death for them. But also think about the thing where he said, he said, tear down this temple and in three days I'll rise it up. And their response to him was, this took years to build. How in the world can you raise it up in three days? Well, first of all, we look at it big picture now and we see that he was talking about himself his body tear my body down and i'll build it up in three days which what was actually more impossible than building the temple in three days but 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 he never said he was going to tear down the temple he never was caught guilty of telling other people to tear down the temple he just made one simple statement it doesn't seem like he said it a bunch of times over and over again every day or anything like that just said one statement and that's what they use that he was saying that he was God and that he was looking at threatening the temple. And so my point of saying that is, is it, and when Paul got in trouble, it was because they thought he was trying to um, teach Jews not to obey the law of Moses. So this law of Moses, this temple and the respect they had for God at the core of their belief, belief was so important to them that someone talking about it was worthy of death. Now, think about that in their time. If you go make this argument to a Gentile, which they did, because the whole trial for Paul and Jesus was in a, under sort of a Gentile court. And for Gentiles, they're like, like, especially with Paul, they're like, we don't know why they're so upset with them. We don't know why they're so mad at. So my point is, when we're dealing with evangelism and discipleship, is that we have to realize we're talking about a core belief, and we're talking about something that's super important to someone. So take Paul, one more last example. Take Paul before the Damascus Road. He is overseeing the imprisonment and the death, in some cases, in the beating of people that are speaking of the way that's different than the way that he's been taught to believe as a child. And it took Jesus on the Damascus road, speaking directly to Paul to change his mind on, on, on the matters. And, and, and when you get to acts 21 and 22, there's this great little section about Paul, but Paul, when he gets converted, one thing that he thinks is he kind of has a feeling that he's like, I'm, I'm the most qualified for this job. He was zealous about making sure people held true to the, the, the old way of being made right with God. But now Jesus has showed him the new way and showed him that, that the old way, the promise has been fulfilled in Christ. And, and, and immediately he's jazzed about it. And he's like, well, let's go tell everybody about it. And, and, and God begins to tell him, they're not going to listen to you. You know, similar to when he talked to Isaiah and he talked to Ezekiel and he talked to Jeremiah. So it's this moment of great excitement that I finally get it. I want to go tell everybody about Jesus and and and, and the gospel and, and who Christ is and, and, and what he, he means for our life. And and in this moment, 
he, um, God says, they're not going to listen to you. And, and so in 21 or 22 there, as you read through that message, Paul does some neat things. He talks in Greek and gets, you know, some privileges and some respect from the, the Greek, um, 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 policemen, so to speak, or authorities. And they allow him to talk to the Jews and he talks to them in Hebrew. And it says they, when they quieted down, he talked to them in Hebrew and it got even quieter. I forgot exactly the language there, but then he, he begins to talk to them in Hebrew and he, he gets respect. But what, when they lose it, they're like it. He's telling them about Moses and the Exodus and, and all this and the, and the Messiah going to be son of David, all this, they're on board with all that. But when he tells them that he was praying and that God said that he needed to go to the Gentiles because the Jews were not going to listen, that was blasphemous. That was too much for them. And my point is that, that, that when we take Acts 2 and we take Acts 7, these, these, these writers and these apostles and disciples share the truth, but there's always two responses. You're either cut to the heart and you want to, to make right your, your, your thing, or you want to deny your wrongdoing and you want to destroy the person that's calling you wrong. And John 7, 7, Jesus says, they do not hate you, but they hate me. And then he tells why they hate him. He says, because I tell them that what they're doing is wrong. When we tell people that what they're doing is wrong, is it's sinful, they're going to either respond and how do I make right? How do I make it right? Or they're going to respond to, to um, shut up. If you don't shut up, I'm going to kill you. And, and, and it's only in the Christian faith that I'm aware of that people are actually killed for what they say and not so much what they do. And I guess my final point with Paul was the fact that Paul was killing people, taking their rights around and bullying them for his faith. But when God showed him the fulfillment of faith, he gave up his rights, allowed himself to be bullied, and eventually laid his life down. And that's a key thing that we need to hold to of what is the difference between a sheep and a goat. A sheep lays his life down. A goat is always building his resume, is always worried about himself, and is always bullying other people. And is it worried about other people losing their life, you know, for his own benefit? Um, so I'm sorry, I jumped into the, 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 uh, the introduction too much. I hope that was decent. Just mm -hmm. a few final things is that there's two books. I'll get some links out to them. They're not very expensive, eight, $10, um, but Spurgeon and Whitfield, they have about six parts in them. And, um, so over the 12 weeks, um, the 12 months, that'll kind of be our reading plan where we'll look at, um, um, for six months, one of the books and six months, the other books. And the importance of these, these books is that they, they, they do a good job of putting balance in our evangelism, in our, our, our diving into scripture, into our dependent on the Holy spirit and knowing who we are in Christ. Um, so I'll, I'll get those out to you. Um, and I think, I think that was mostly all I had to say um so what you think before you had to jump off keith and maybe we can get jeff back with some comments i'm gonna shut I'm, up i'm here i just i'm moving around a lot so i didn't want to so make everybody busy what's y'all's <laughs> initial thoughts there and um 
What, what do you want to see done in 2022? What's your hopes? I think you're right on with that. I think uh, the encouragement that you give us this morning is greatly needed uh, for us with the uh, evangelism and the discipleship. Uh, for me to be strong at work, I, you were sitting there talking about that, and um, it just makes me think of work every day. You know, it's like, what what can I do? You know, Lord, work through me a different way at work, uh, but not only at work, through my life and my home and everywhere else. But uh, yeah, it, it's something uh, uh, desperately needed today, Dennis. Thank you. What do you think? Yeah. And I, I think those two topics do go kind of hand in hand, um, you know, to evangelism and discipleship. You, If we're bringing people into the kingdom, we certainly need to point them to the right direction on how to thrive in the kingdom as well. So, um, yeah, both of those I'm, I'm encouraged to learn more about. Um, and just, you know, the passages that you gave, uh, you know, going how how Paul would go to others and and relate to others in their society. Um, you know, we, we live in a much different society here in 2022. Uh, so maybe there's some application there for us, you know, how, how can we take the message, uh, you know, that's over 2000 years old and apply it to a society and a culture today? Yeah. Well, um, I know we may be brief this morning with um, Keith jumping off, but let's let's um, get a little text, a biblical text in here, and um, I'm going to be brief with it and 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 just kind of point out just a little outline framework and let you guys chew on it this week. But um, and and we're going to we're going to treat the the paragraph of Ephesians four seventeen to twenty four. Um, we're going to cut it in half at about verse 20 so let's look at 17 18 and 19 these three verses real quick and i'll kind of create the um the the two thoughts there and um and then you can unpack it a little bit throughout the week but it says in verse 17 now this i say and testify to the lord that you must no longer walk as gentiles i'll just pause for a second there and say the it's a Ephesian letter in and the Ephesians were gentiles and so this is um, Paul's telling the Gentiles to not act like Gentiles anymore. So that's just a little bit of irony for you to kind of ponder and chew on. And, and to me, it makes me think about when people try to keep the Jews and the Gentiles separated through the new Testament, when so many texts is trying to put them together. Um, just, just something to keep in the back of your mind. Um, cause he clearly is saying, um, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. But when we talk about Jew and Gentile, um, I, I thought about maybe the, the better, a better way of, of, of understanding that and um, processing it is we're talking about the difference between um, people of the world and people of the family of God, ultimately. And that's really what he's mostly teaching to. So when we're talking about discipleship, we're recognizing this statement when he tells us, um, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. Ultimately, what he's he's using from his worldview, what he knows his whole life, the Gentiles were the world and the Jews were the people of God. And so as we move into the New Testament and, and, and when he's writing this, this is the initial days of the church being grafted together. Um, so just keep that in mind. But but let's look at the list after that. It's going to give about five phrases here. 
um, that's worth pondering those and just thinking about when we're thinking about where were what, what was our mindset before Christ? I think one of the th- challenges of evangelism and discipleship is that we get comfortable and we forget who we were before Christ. So so we devalue what he's done in our life. We devalue how rich and, and precious and valuable his grace on our life is um, his loving gift of of conversion. We forget about those. And then what we do, and this is one of our biggest stumbling blocks, I think, of discipleship, is we treat unconverted people um, as if they have inside of them what we have. And so what I'll, the the language I'll use as we move on is Old Testament choices and New Testament choices. And what I'm really meaning by that is, um, uh, is, um, old man choices and new new man choices or before Christ choices and after death choices, meaning that when we are converted, God does a work that changes our ability to make choices. So when we're evaluating choices and the choices people are making and the things they're doing, we have to first say, are they at the at their heart, at the core of their being, are they choosing from the flesh or the fallen man or are they choosing from the spirit or for the new creation, from the new, the new birth, from the new heart that God has given them that has willing and right desires um, to, to, um, to serve him. And so when we say, well, we can't take no credit for what we do, you know, that's the basis of that is if God is giving us a willing heart and all of the choices we make that are positive for him is from the willing heart that God gave us. And none of the choices um, are the ones that, that are the, the old man heart that, that is a product of our sin nature. Um, when we see that, then, then everything we do that's positive or righteous is, is, is all glory to God. Because apart from him um, putting something in us, we can't do any of that anyway. So, so I, I guess I said more than I want to say, but right here, the phrases are this in the futility of the mind. So before you knew Christ, you, the Bible is saying, Paul, the apostle is telling you that you were in the futility of, of, of your mind. And then he goes on to the next phrase is they are darkened in their understanding. So before Christ and anyone that is not converted that you're dealing with at work or in your family is darkened in their understanding. That's not my opinion. That's what the Bible says about their state of condition is that they're they're futile in their minds and they're dark in their understanding the third phrase is that they're alienated from the life of god now what this phrase should do is give you a heart for the loss because you you, you start to think here's someone that has a futile mind they're they're darkening their understanding and they're alienated from the life of god and i'm not you know, should I, should I tell them about the life of God and, and, and the free gift of God and, and how they can overcome their most important problem, sin, and the result of that is death, that there is a life out there. The reason we talk about sin and death and the reason we need to bring it out of the, uh, out of the political correct jail cell is because it's about life. If we don't talk about sin creating death and the solution to sin, then there cannot be no life. And so they're words that have to be talked about. They might be negative words, but they're negative words that have to be understand to get to a positive outcome. Um, so we got to get them out of the political correct, correct prison. Um, uh, but then, so alienate in the life of God because of the, and it says because of the ignorance. I'm not saying they're ignorant. I'm not saying I was ignorant before. 
the Bible saying that there, there's ignorance in the people of the world. And so we've got to connect to the family of God um, due to their hardness of heart. And we just came out of Psalms 50, 51, and that was dealt with, that, that, that our sin wants to harden our heart and callous it. And so these last two phrases, due to the hardness of their heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up. So this is something we need to realize. Why does someone give themselves up to sensuality, greediness, to practice of every... When you see someone that is just overcome by sensual, sensuality, greedy, and practice of every kind of impurity, why is that? It's because what the scripture is saying here in this paragraph, it's because they've been given up to a hard heart and a callousness. And so what the gospel does, maybe not in, in a moment of time, sometimes in a moment of time, but over a course of time, is what the seed of the word of God and the gospel and the recognition of who Christ is, what it does is it it's, it's a cure from a virus um, in the sense that it, it, it removes the hardness of the heart and makes it soft and loving again. And it allows it also even when it makes it vulnerable, it also gives a protection. The protection in Christ is like the protection of the ark from the wrath of God. So the world is trying to dis destroy purity. And for your heart to be pure, you have to put on the protection, the armor of God, but the protection of Christ in order to do that. So the, the work of Christ in the gospel not only softens a hard heart, it also protects it so that it can walk in that softness of heart um jeff was you trying to say something i didn't know if you was but that's no. but that's phrase one or paragraph one and then um as you look at the second part it starts with the but but that is not the way you learn christ and the one thing i would focus in on that part is we are taught by the holy spirit um, whether you go to a pastor today, whether I'm, I'm teaching today, whether one of you are teaching or whoever is teaching, you're listening to a podcast, um, all that teachers of this world or this life are trying to do is they're trying to just pass along some things that they've, they've kind of heard from God or they've seen in God's word or whatever. But the ultimate teacher is the Holy Spirit. And there's no way that what I say is going to be ever going to be 100% correct. Um, sometimes it may be mostly wrong, you know, but whatever the case, I'm trying to pass on. I'm trying to pass the baton of something God has, has showed to me. And this phrase here, but that is not the way you learn Christ, is an important phrase because you have to remember you're not a robot. God, you know, the, 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 in Jeremiah um, 8, 8 through 12, it gives three points of what the gospel is, um, uh, what the new covenant would be. And one of it is that God himself would teach you. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. Um, so you're not a robot. You've got to, you, you, you need to be in your word. You need to use your brain, but you, but you also need to use your spirit. You know, if you're converted and God has put his spirit in you, then you know when something sounds right or when it doesn't sound right. And you then have the tools of scripture to go back and verify why that was or was not right or wrong. And those are part of the process of discipleship as part of you being conformed to the image of Christ. And so what he's saying here is he, he's going to with this phrase, but that is not the way you learn Christ. What I think to me is that a trigger because he, he uses this language elsewhere in passages. But if you are saved. 
because if you're not saved, it's really futile for us to move to discipleship. But if you are saved, if you have learned Christ, there's some distinctives that bring unity within the body of Christ. We may have different um, ways we do things, but we all can agree that there are some basic truths that, that there's no there's no doubt about. We all have an assertion because we've learned Christ. And so he finishes this product, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Because now we're going to start talking about what's called New Testament, what I call New Testament choices. Because I believe the way the Bible directs us to walk out our choices is different in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. And I'll explain more about that. But he says this, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him in the in as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self. Um, so he's saying, if you've learned by Christ, you need to put off your old self. And we'll address that a little bit more um, in the weeks to come, but which belongs to your former manner of life that has corrupted through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Um, so, so, we do have choices. We do have a responsibility after we're saved. Um, we are to put off our old and put on our new, but we have to realize that when we're putting off that old and putting on that new, it's because God's done something in us. So we need to realize is the person converted or not? And are we able to make the choices we make because we are converted? And so that was just the thing I want to highlight as far as a challenge to evangelism and discipleship. I think we try to disciple people that are not converted or even if they are converted, they may not know who they are in Christ. And so if, if I like to use the term two wills, there's the fallen will and then the new will is the will that delights in, in, in God. And so if people do not have, I'm trying to say that you could not have the will at all because you're just not saved to delight in God. Um, but you could also have, um, um, you, you could, you could have that will asleep because you're not reading your word and because you're not praying and you're not, um, spending time with God. Um, so sometimes you, people could be saved, but they just need to he hear some sheep food and they need to hear some gospel messages that will activate that what's in them. Um, so anyway, I'll, I'll show it with that. I know, um, Keith, you probably need to jump off, but in, any, any thoughts on those, that text? No, I just like that. I was, I keep looking back at 13 though, you know, which we close in about, uh, created in the likeness of God and everything. We have our measure of where we've attained, uh, verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature man, manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And uh, what a powerful statement there with that. So, but yeah, I'm sort of, I'm sort of jump off, uh, it's been great being with y'all, and I hope y'all have a blessed day. Love you guys. And uh, we'll be praying for you. I know that's a tough, tough phase there with your daughter. So, well, especially when she graduates in May. So that's the next big jump. So I'm going to need a lot of prayer this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, no, right. thank you guys. Good being with y'all. Y'all take care. Thank you. You there, Jeff? 
Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. I know you're probably getting busy if you. Okay, let's go up to the front. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I think that was. Come on, first friend. Levi's asking for fireworks. He thinks he gets them every day now. Um, no, the um, that that passage where he says, um, let me let me pull it up here because there was a word that I saw. Uh, they were alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart, and so um, it, for for us in our society and using using that term ignorance is um it's offensive to people you know like to say man you're just you're ignorance of god like you're ignorant of god i mean that would be a a slap in the face of a highly educated society that we live in um you know they can they can take offense to that and so um you know but that's what the gospel is the gospel is offensive to them it is um you know they don't know god and um whenever they whenever you proclaim the gospel to them, they're going to have one of those two reactions where there's a, yes, what do I need to do? Perform surgery on me and change, you know, I need to be changed versus you're trying to saw me in half and I'm, you know, I'm going to retaliate. Um, so I, I see that um, even in our day and age that we're going to be dealing with people that, that have this ignorance of who God is. And, um, you know, I was, I was in that same boat. I had no idea who God was. Um, and you know, people like my brother, I I think of that, you know, I've got this whole world figured out. I know how to be happy. I know how to, um, have success and, um, you know, lead, lead a fulfilling life. Uh, but he's ignorant of God. He doesn't know who God is. And so, um, that's, that's important to us for, and one for, uh, for like you said, you can't disciple an unregenerate person. You know, they're only going to be they're still in bondage. Like they they need a work of the spirit to set them free before discipleship can even happen. Yeah. And, you know, like big picture and I'm talking about 20 to 30 years. What I've seen happen as I've because I've been in church since I was seven years old or six years old, probably even a little bit before that. So 40 some odd years. And um, but one of the things that I think is important, a point here about like what you're saying is is ignorance is um, what we're seeing now is we're seeing essentially people that didn't fit in to the church of of the last 30 years. You, you see a couple of things. So if you go back 30, 40 years, you see people that didn't fit into that church. And now they are mad at it. And essentially, just like churches have made a gazillion, Protestant churches have made a gazillion uh, denominations, they're also trying to make a religion now with critical race theory and social justice that's not even a biblical religion. Um, It goes, it denies the scripture, but it's still religious in nature. Um, And and it's, it's almost complete opposite of what the Bible describes the church to look like um and 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 i believe that's a result of them not fitting into the church and getting um angry with it 
But what's happened over the last 20 or 10, 10 to 15 years is what we've done is we've tried the idea of seeker friendly and watered down gospel. We've tried to make the church comfortable for goats. And we've, we've actually taken the converting power of the gospel out of the local church. And that's not worked out for us either, because now the sheep don't even have a hospital to go and get mended and encouraged and in charge. So, so now we don't have no sheep in the culture really living out for Christ or sharing the gospel at the workplaces and in their families. Um, but, but um, my point is that ignorance is not when you say ignorance and when it's offensive to the world, it's doesn't like, I'm going to try to say, I wanted to bring up, and we'll, we'll bring it back up, remind me to bring it back up, but the doctrine of total depravity has this unique thing, is it has to be hard to make you realize how bad the, the sin problem is, and that's, mm-hmm. that's where total depravity can't be harsh enough, sort of, so to speak, but it's too harsh to the goat in what you're saying, ignorance and this kind of thing, um, and it makes them mad at the church. Because in the fallen will, in the fallen nature, people can still do good things. They can still fix a car. They can still be a good doctor. They can still be an electrician, whatever. So when you say total depravity to that mindset and, you, and you're trying to tell someone that they're totally depraved and they need Christ, well, they're thinking to themselves, well, I can gas up my car. I can do electrical work. I, I can pass college, you know. And so the fallen nature still has the ability to do a lot of good. It just doesn't have the ability to save itself. And so we haven't done a good job in the years of making those distinctions that when we say ignorant and hard heart, we're talking about it because they're alienated from a life of God that's available. So it's not that they don't have no biological life in them. It's that they don't have no spiritual life in them. And so when yeah. they total depraved, we're trying to be harsh to wake a person up to the fact that your sin condition is so great that it's leaving you to a spiritual death that, that, uh, that eventually is robbing you of so much out of life. Um, and That's but why this- I said it's, it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven. You know, if, if a man uh, you know, believes he has, you know, these good qualities and he, like you said he can fix a car help help his uh neighbor out and all of those things he's gonna have a harder time understanding his need for to be saved right and that's a challenge of evangelism you know how do you how do you get to that point and and so that's that's one of the things that that's a goal for 2022 is that we focus in with ourselves that we individually and look for you know as we're praying for wisdom this this month that we look for god to help us you know have the wisdom the timing the um the ability to to navigate that right because like if you go back to that first book me you and dean and alan wrote about vanishing grace you know that was the girl the guy's worldview is that grace is vanishing and his reasons was because we're not doing more social justice type things but I would agree with him that the grace is vanishing, just not because we're not being the hands and feet of Jesus, but because 
we're not being the head of Jesus. And I don't mean by Jesus is the head of the church, but I mean by mental thinking, we're not, we're trying to disciple people that are not converted, where we're trying to, to lead people through self-help instead of through gospel principles. Uh, and, and, but see the, the seeker friendly church does a good job of preaching messages that are self-help. Right. You know, how, how to be a better spouse and husband and brother and neighbor. Uh, but they never they never hone in on how where that power comes from. And, and people end up it's goat food. They end up doing it by the power of their own flesh and they get burnt out with religion and they figure, you know what? I can be doing something more productive with my time on Sundays because I've got this thing figured out. Yeah. And but but self-help and you, you kind of addressed it there. Self-help is not about activating power from God. It's about activating power in your fallen nature. And if you think about it from an eternal point of view, your fallen nature is going to perish. So nothing you do from your fallen nature has eternal value. Only thing that you do, only things that you do from your new nature, from the gift of God and from the power of God is going to have eternal value. So this self-help, is all about this life. You know, the idea that there's never a U-Haul behind the, uh, behind our hearse, we're talking about our stuff, but we're, but, but, but it goes beyond that. You know, when you're talking about, if you're teaching someone to be a better husband or father by managing their old nature better in their power, that ain't got no eternal value. I mean, it may be more pleasant for the wife and the children um, because he's not, in fits of anger all the time and you know whatever have you not spending all their money and whatever but but that's not but 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 think of it another way if that man that's struggling with with anger and is abusive in his home and you know he he has the choice of going to a local church that are giving him self-help and tell him you need to be a nice guy and you need to control that anger but what if that church would tell him about that his his number one problem is at the center of his being, and that problem is sin, and that he has a fallen nature that all it wants to do is ultimately gratify itself in sin. And and if that that person says that is a is a disease, a virus, a cancer that you have, but there's a solution, that solution is Christ. And I, I was thinking of that song the other day, I'll try to sing it in my terrible voice. But I'm sure you've heard it. You have to tell me yay or nay, but I know a lot of people have heard it. But I started just thinking about how theologically sound this 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 um, song is, this little little verse, and how it most churches don't have this much theology on a regular Sunday morning. But it's this right here. It says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And as I was singing that song, it's almost got a kiddie feel to it. And we're almost sort of in our, in our modernized church life or churchery. We're almost embarrassed to say that song or sing that song because it's just so, but, 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 but it uses the blood of Jesus, but it says, what can wash away my sin and what can make me whole? That's the problem we're dealing with. And most messages, and if we call it self-help messages or whatever, most churches today 
on the second day of the first year of 2022 or whatever, the second day of 2022, most churches today will not get to the point that 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 we have a sin problem and the only thing that can 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 remove it and wash it away is the blood of Jesus. And what does the blood of Jesus mean? It means the perfect life of it means God becoming flesh which was Christmas and it means you know him dying on a cross for our sin and taking the wrath that was deserved for us which is Easter. But it's it's what we read in, in Psalms 51 that that if if you're if you're if it your if your sin is like blood stain and nobody can get it that he can get it and get it whiter than white um it's a miracle when we're talking about the gospel what god has and it's far higher reaching than anything that this world has to offer and um somewhere somehow in 2022 people need to get excited about the gospel and actually you know my wife told me one thing and i believe this is true about people that are getting converted she made a statement she said I'm not easily impressed. And what I think is for the converted person, what it should do is it should make you not easily imp um, impressed, meaning that the world's trinkets are not impressive anymore, that the, the lure of the world fades away and that you're looking for a higher standard, a higher quality, a higher richness that only comes from, from God and from eternal things. So all right, Ken, you you good? Yeah, yeah. Play some more phone. Okay, but hey, go play phone. I'll be right back. <laughs> Sorry, again. Um, yeah, no, we're we're good, and I, I think um, you know that message too. Just what what you're saying about um, not easily impressed. Like uh, th there's things that you're drawn to as a non-believer. Um, you know, you want to have. Uh, you know, the, the coolest um, uh, boat or you want to have the nicest piece of land to hunt on or you want, you know, maybe the, the coolest car or anything like that. But when you get saved and you get born again and you start to wrap your head around, moths are going to eat that. Rust is going to destroy it. Um, you can't there's no hitches on a hearse. Um, your your perspective has changed. Um, I was listening to a MacArthur uh, preach on that subject. Uh, just about the, the new nature and the old nature. And he's like, when you become a new creation, Paul says that, uh, you know, we are new creations in Christ. Like that's the transformative work. It's not, it's not that you now have two natures, but you are truly transformed into something new and your identity is found in something new. And he's like, but if you look at, at the context of like Romans seven, you have this and he described it as a, as a coat of flesh or, a, you know, you have this flesh draped over you and, and that's your, your sin. And, and Paul says, you know, it's not I that does it, but it's this um, it's this body or this sin, you know, that uh, th this old man, if you would say, if he'd say it that way. And so um, I'm trying to kind of navigate through that too, a little bit like, um, you know, do we have two natures as Christians or do we have one nature but we have this code of corruption that, that lies on us. Um, and, we'll, and, he's, and we'll work through that. And, um, and I don't know the answer too, but, but the word I've been using other than nature is wills because you hear people talk about free will a lot. So free will ultimately the right definition is, is that you're free to do what you will to do. Well, what you have to look at is your old nature had a will. 
and it will to chase the world, so to speak, or, mm -hmm. you know, sin, whatever it was enmity. And so the term, when it says the flesh does this and the spirit does that, well, it was your flesh. That was that old will. And now that you've been born again and God has put his spirit in you, that creates a new will. So I think more than two natures, um, maybe it's two, it's two wills warring within you. Um, mm -hmm. Old man will and the new man will. Because um, that's what I give Paul's, like what you said, is some of those, if it says we're a new creation, you know, what does that mean? But, but I think the idea of two wills allows for the fact that Christians still do sin. We still struggle with sin. Well, why do we struggle with sin? And I believe it's because that old, that sin nature wasn't in this life put completely away. I do believe it's put away when we are glorified. Um, right. But, but, I, but I think, so you say, well, why would God not put away the sin nature? Well, one possible reason could be is we wouldn't worry about anybody else. We would just, so the problem I've already highlighted is part of the problem of, of us evangelizing and discipleship is what we essentially normally fundamentally do is we say, you need to choose Jesus. I chose Jesus and, and you need to choose him because choosing Jesus is the most important thing you can do. Well, how do you choose Jesus? You're choosing Jesus because God's done a work in you and created you anew and you want to choose Jesus. If they haven't been converted, they're like you before you were saved or before Christ. So the only thing that's within them is their ability to choose from the flesh. And so only thing they can do is feel morally bad about what they're doing and logically and try to will themselves by their own power. But the yoke don't come become light until they come to Christ and lay their burdens on him and realize that he will carry their their, their burden and give them power to live the life that he's called them to. And so, you know, that, that's, you know, that, that's the difference. And so, like I said, we'll, we'll navigate through that together and look closely with scripture because I do think it's challenging. You know I mean? T technically I've heard on Christology where they talk about, he uses the word two natures and stuff like that, a, a, a divine nature and a human nature. Well, we don't have a divine nature, which some charismatic circles, kind of will, will, will navigate into that but i think we still have two wheels so I, i'll look into it more but the main purpose is just to realize we were something different you know before we came to know christ and and that's what we want is it's through the gospel to see people become something different to become um you know changed by by the work of of the gospel Yep. Yeah. Amen. Well, and, and look too. Um, I was gonna say what what helps um, with with Bible study on Sunday mornings. Uh, just given that structure of you know we were going through Psalm fifty one and we kind of knew where we were gonna be the the week before. So um, as as we think through, I know you said your Romans start with Romans five. We're gonna be in the Book of John some, but if there's some text that that we should be focusing in on uh you know if we if we get them probably like you know by wednesday or thursday or even friday that gives us a day or two to kind of uh you know get them in our in our knower and kind of look through them and examine them so uh that that helps it just um to me it helps coming prepared on sunday uh, just kind of knowing where we we're at uh each week now i know the the toward the end there somehow i got a week off and jumped ahead so uh 
I got to be careful with that. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, you know, always praying through it. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely try to do that. And, and like I said, the, I think you, you may have heard me, but I'm going to try to lay out a plan for us to read um, Whitfield and Spurgeon. And there's essentially yeah. six parts. And so we'll try to kind of read that together. So there will be a part. And I think that'll be be encouraged okay. as far as us kind of being um, kind of be being fed and fed from the same plate, um, so that as we are discussing, we're we're, we're to some degree thinking about the same thing in that way. Um, but yeah, like it's um, this text. Look at it this week that we just looked at. But um, from five from Romans five twelve on to the end of seven, um, that's probably where we'll kind of kind of be at right now and just i want to i want to maybe talk about some things i think that are important about how the fall of nature came about and in adam and how he's our federal head and total depravity and those kind of things um i want to kind of lay some structure there um but you know as, as we move into you know all with the idea of what is the struggle let's understand the struggle Let's remember the struggle, and 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 I think that remembering the struggle and understanding the struggle and approaching, um, we we kind of have a dull blade, and we need to sharpen our blade if we're going to see conversions, um, if we're going to see if we're going to if 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 we're going to fan the if there's a converted person in the pew that's not eating sheep sheep food and their spirit has went to sleep we're not going to wake them up with self-help. We're going to wake them up with the gospel. And so we need to kind of realize what's at stake and, and, and what, and, and, and we, you know, just kind of renew our trust and and our belief in the gospel at the, at the level of that. Like we kind of sometimes stop with, well, I believe the gospel. Well, what do you do? Good for you. But but do, do you believe? Let me ask you this: Do you believe that the gospel can still save a person? And um, you know, and I remember pastors will say, "Can you let your face know that?" You know, um, you know, if you believe that, let your face know that. And and I and I think what we need to see in the local church is is people that that believe in the scripture and the gospel and 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 how that defines who Christ is and what He's done and what that means for you. We need to. Uh, we need to see a rise up of people that believe in it enough that they actually invest in it, that they sacrifice um, um, time and money and treasures in order to sow seeds um, so that the community can be changed, that families can be changed, that people's lives can be changed. So those are the focus. So we'll close this up before we jump off. Yep. Father, um, we, uh, we thank you for who you are, and we're so um, grateful, Lord, that you've called us out of darkness, that you've um, given us a new nature, Lord, that you've transformed us, something that we could never achieve on our own, something that we, um, apart from the work of your Holy Spirit, that we just had no hope to ever grasp. And so, Lord, we're thankful for that. Um, I pray for, for 2022 and for this specifically for this Bible study, Lord, that you bless it, that you put your hands on it, that you stir up the hearts of the men that are involved. Um, Lord, that, that this world is dark and it needs light. And, um, and let us use this time and, and these men to equip us to, um, to be that light, to go out to this lost world and, uh, and fish out men to your kingdom. 
I pray all of this in the name of Jesus for his glory. Amen. Have you hope you have a good day. Call me if you need anything. All right, man. We'll do. Bye.